with the Psalms. I think Miles has told me we're in part five. So I believe we're doing two Psalms tonight, and I believe there's three Psalms after this, and uh, then we're going to be done. But the problem is, I shouldn't say the problem, the Psalms that are coming after this are the big ones. Um, they're ones that take a lot of time to go through because we end on a pretty good note here tonight, and if we could stop with this lesson, it would be probably a lot of fun. Because what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is David has, uh, I believe it was two weeks ago, David was in the cave of fear. And then we had David in the wilderness last week. He's been going through a tough time. Well, finally tonight, things kind of come together for David here a little bit. You know, I, 1 Samuel uh, 22 is where we talked about uh, David in the cave. 1 Samuel 23 was David in the wilderness. 1 Samuel 24, you got this great story of where Saul's asleep in a cave, and David has the opportunity to go in and take out Saul, and he chooses not to. And it's a great story because imagine somebody that you just absolutely, I don't know, they, they just can't stand you. I mean, more than can't stand you. Saul is sending the entire army out to destroy you. David has an opportunity to end this. He could kill Saul and take over the kingdom because he is the rightfully anointed king of Israel. He could kill Saul and finally quit living in the wilderness and in caves and everything, and David doesn't. In fact, David cuts off just a hem of Saul's robe, and David feels horribly guilty about even that, saying, I shouldn't even touch God's anointed. And it really is a convicting thing because sometimes I think of the thoughts that I have towards people that have maybe wronged me or upset me. And it's like, uh, I don't have a problem cutting their hem. There's a few other things I could cut too. And uh, David felt guilty just about that. Well, in 1 Samuel 25, we have the story of David and Nabal, and we talked about that a little bit, and about David's flesh got the best of him, but he was talked down by Abigail. Then in 1 Samuel 26, we have another story of David and Saul. This is another opportunity where David could have killed Saul, and he chose not to. And David does the smart thing and actually gets up on the um, mountainside and yells down to Saul, highly paraphrased, Saul, why are you doing this? And Saul finally reaches the point of saying, you're right. I'm done. I'm done chasing you. Saul kind of reaches a point of saying, I accept the fact God's hand is on you. God's hand is not on me. And they kind of go their separate ways, if you will. And David kind of goes over to the Philistines for a while. Saul kind of basically goes downhill fast and ends with Saul's death at the end of uh, the book of 1 Samuel. Well, so what happens when Saul dies now? Now we're in the book of 2 Samuel. David is finally gets a chance to become king of Israel. And he finally gets a chance to consolidate the kingdom. And what we have here tonight is after the first few chapters in 2 Samuel, is 2 Samuel chapter 8, is David has won all these victories. He's finally king. Saul is out of the way. He's out of the cave. He's out of the wilderness. And it's all done finally. And what the Psalms you have here tonight are the Psalms of basically the fighting is over. Have you ever been through such a tough time in your life and it's finally over you can sit back and finally just let that breath out and say, it's over. That trial is finally over. The tribulation, that, that wilderness time is finally over. And for David, it's finally over here tonight. The sad part is, once it's over for David, he gets himself in trouble with Bathsheba. And that's what we're going to get into next week. And like I said, if we could just end tonight, it'd be a great ending. He's out of the cave of fear. He's out of the wilderness. Saul's out of the way. David is now the king, the ruler, theologically, spiritually, politically. Everything is fine and dandy, and they have these great psalms of the battle being over. But we know what happens. And I don't want to get ahead of myself because we know what happens next week. But for tonight at least, 
It's done. It's over. So we have two psalms that we're going to look at tonight. And they both base kind of out this 2 Samuel chapter 8 time. And if you look at 2 Samuel chapter 8, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, because 2 Samuel chapter 8, my Bible has a little title in front of it. It says, David's Further Conquests. And that's pretty true. Because 2 Samuel chapter 8 is really all about everybody he defeated. Verse 1, he attacks the Philistines. Verse 2, he attacks Moab. Verse 3, he attacks Hadazar. And we could just keep going on and on and on. David comes and defeats everybody and finally brings the kingdom together. And you can look at Psalm, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 15. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. See, don't you wish the movie could end right there? You've got this dramatic scene, a nice sunset, David standing on the hill, the camera pans out, and the credits start. But it doesn't end there. But for tonight, it does. And what was going through David's heart when it was finally all over? Well, let's see what's going on in the Psalms here. Turn, if you will, to Psalm 60. Let's go to Psalm 60 first. The fighting is over. It's done. The battles are gone. Saul is dead. He's the king. What's going through David's mind once this is all done? Psalm 60. Psalm 60 is a short little one. And you can look at the introduction here. It says, To the chief musician set to lily of the testimony, a mictum of David, for teaching. When he fought against Mesopotamia and Syria of Zobah and Joab returned and killed 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. This is a battle psalm. So what happens here? Verse 1. O oh God, you have cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased. O oh, restore again. You have made the earth tremble. You have broken it. Heal its bridges, for it is shaking. You have shown your people hard things. You have made us drink the wine of confusion. That's kind of a tough start. But you know what? I've never been in the midst of battle. I've never been in the midst of war or anything. And any time the subject of battle, war comes up, I always remember, you know I love history, and one of my favorite uh, figures in history is William Tecumseh Sherman. He was a great general during World War II, one of the best generals the uh, Union had. But after he was done fighting, he once gave a speech. It was up actually up in Michigan, and he had this famous quote of where he simply just said, war is hell. And he went through and he talked about how only the young men that have never seen battle yearn to go to war. And he said, anybody who's ever seen battle never yearns to go back to it again. And I look at this psalm written in the midst of just fighting again and again and again. And we know David was a man of the sword. But I even think David as a man of the sword after a while just got tired of the fighting. And you see in these first few verses here, of, Lord, what's going on? It's battle after battle after battle. And, you know, you don't want to spend too much time analyzing this, but if you kind of look, if you still got your hand in 2 Samuel chapter 8, there's a verse there, verse 12, where it talks about the Edomites have come up into the Valley of Salt. And it's in the introduction here. Well, what happens is the Valley of Salt was just right below the Dead Sea. Well, that's Jerusalem territory. What we can kind of piece together is while David's in the north winning all these great battles against the Philistines, the Edomites said, hey... They're up to the north, what's invade from the south? And so you almost see David saying, not another fight. Lord, I'm up here in the north defeating all these armies for you, and then now this army of the Edomites come in from the south. Lord, what's going on? There's, con there's confusion. We're broke down. We're cast off. We're constantly fighting. And that seems to be what David's going through. Now, I, maybe some of you have been in that position. You ever been in that position where you just say, I, I, just, I can't handle one more thing? I can't handle one more thing. You, you could handle the rough day at work. 
You could handle maybe not feeling good. You could handle the family turmoil. But when you start putting everything together, it's just one battle too many. And you say, Lord, I just can't handle this anymore. And as it says right there, verse 3, it's just confusion and hard things. You're broken. You're shaking. You're ready to be done. Well, verse 4, you have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Sila, which means stop, pause, meditate. That your beloved may be delivered, save with your right hand and hear me. See, David catches himself in verses 4 and 5 and says, I have a banner. What's the purpose of a banner? The purpose of the banner is you're supposed to look at it. We have a banner. We look, you look at it. You read it. The purpose of the banner is supposed to draw attention to it. Back during biblical times when you went into battle, you had your banner. Your banner showed which side you're on, where you were supposed to be. The banner was held high so when people saw it, they knew what was going on. David is saying here, I am a walking banner for the Lord that's being displayed. So therefore, since it's being displayed, people are supposed to look at me during this war, this tough time, and be encouraged by God. Paul kind of summed it up this way in the New Testament. He says, your life is an open book, known and read by all. Now, that verse is either very encouraging or very scary to you. It's very encouraging to say, wow, Lord, thank you for using me to be a light and a witness. Or it's really scary saying, trust me, I'm a book you don't want to pick up and look at. See, David is saying there's a banner that's supposed to be displayed for God. So quick question for you. In the midst of the fight and the war, how's your banner? You doing a good job standing up for the Lord? Are you doing a good job of saying during this dark time, this tough time, I'm standing for the truth? Are you doing a good job of saying, I'm still going to be a light and a witness in all I do? See, that word, once again, Selah in verse 4. Stop. Think about this. Pause. Meditate on this. Lord, am I doing a good job carrying the banner of Jesus Christ? Am I doing a good job with that? Because all of us here tonight are in a different type of war. Some of you, it was a struggle just to get here tonight. Some of you are having relationship problems. Some of you are having physical problems. Some of you are having emotional some Whatever it is, you're struggling with something, and you're in the midst of the war, and you're like, the last thing I'm thinking about is carrying some stupid banner around. But God says, you shine for me in dark times. See, verse 6, there is victory. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Felicia, shout and trumpet, triumph because of me. Now you may get confused with all the names there, and the names really don't matter at this point. If you want to do a fun study, I encourage you to study out those names. But what he's really saying in verses 6 through 8, these are all locations. God says, I got it all under control. I got it all under control. They're all mine. This is all going to be a victory. Don't worry about it. If you want to put it into our present-day lingo, we would say, God has spoken His holiness. I will rejoice. Instead of saying, I will divide Shechem, etc., it's like, you know what? I will take care of those bills. I will take care of you physically. I will take care of you spiritually. I will take care of you emotionally. He's saying, I'm going to have the victory. See, verse 8, over Edom I will cast my shoe. See, you know, the Edomites were the ones coming up from the south. David's probably worried about this. His nation's being invaded. God says, David, I got it. See, isn't it amazing the things that you get worried about and I get worried about? God says, you know, to me, this is really no big deal. David sees an army of 18,000 Edomites coming into Israel. God says, 18,000. doesn't matter if it's 18, 1,800, 18,000, or 180,000. I can take care of it. 
So whatever you're facing, God says, I can take care of it. I will bring the victory. How is he going to do it? Verse 9, who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off, and you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. See, David comes full circle and says, Our help comes from the Lord. And he says, It's God that will take down the enemies. So what is David going through in the midst of war? He's going through confusion. He's going through probably frustration. He talks about being broken and displeased. But he says, I realize the victory comes from God. I realize God's going to get me through this, and God alone is my help. See, so some of you tonight are overwhelmed. There's enemies all around you. There's confusion. You're displeased. You're discouraged. You're broken down. You don't think you can go one more moment. And God says, I'm your victory. I will get you through this. I am your help. And if anything, just focus on verses 11 and 12. Give us help from our trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. If nothing else, focus on verses 11 and 12. God is the one that gets you through the war. That's what he does. And that's what was going through David's mind here in Psalm 60. And you know what? I can relate to this. This is an honest psalm of, Lord, I can't do this. I need help. And God says, I can help you. Turn, if you will, now to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. And Miles, if you want to get that up there. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments here about anything we went over there with Psalm 60 and David in the midst of the war, trusting in the Lord there? Anybody got anything? Okay. Well, what we got here, and trust me, this is not real deep in depth here. Psalm 18 is one of the longer psalms we're doing. It's 50 verses. And it's easy to kind of get lost in the middle of this. So what I just did is made a quick outline with this. So, what we got going on here, and this is the first part we're going to talk about, is what was going on during this time. See, in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 18, you can kind of see what's going on. First off, look at the introduction. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. See, Psalm 18 is kind of the final one where David says, now it's all over. Psalm 60 is the psalm in the midst of the battle. Psalm 18 is when it's all done. And Psalm 18 is important enough that it's repeated in 2 Samuel 22, because it's kind of David's swan song, if you will. So this psalm is important enough for God to put in the Bible twice, and it's the one that is mentioned at the end of David's life. So if you kind of want to know a psalm that sums up David, I think David would probably say he kind of likes Psalm 18. It's the one that means the most to him, I think, in some ways, because it's the one when the battle was over. It's the one where it's done. I know somebody that uh, struggled out here with uh, kidney stones for a real long time. And if anybody's ever had a kidney stone before, you know the physical pain of that. And this person struggled with kidney stones, and they ended up having to have... Um, something in their body there to help the stone pass freely, and it was painful, it was horrible, and she absolutely, absolutely hated it. And when finally the kidney stones were done, there was this little plastic tube, and she put that little plastic tube on her keychain. And some of you may know her and remember her doing that. And she carried that around with her for a long time. And I remember asking her, why did she do that? Because she said she never wanted to forget what she went through. And she went through 
horrible time with that for a long time. And so she kept this little tube on her keychain for a long time to remind her of God got her through this. And I think Psalm 18 is one of those psalms where David says, this is my reminder that God got me through it. Guys, we, we can't relate to what David went through. Hiding in the cave, hiding in the wilderness, being taken away from his family, the entire army of Israel chasing him down. And it's finally all over. It's just over. And it's done. And this is the psalm now that he wants to talk about. So look at verses 1 through 3. First part here. It's kind of the culmination of the last seven psalms. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the name of the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so I shall be saved from my enemies. Good songs tonight, too, by the way, worship team. Worked in real well here. So you see this right here, is this idea of God being the one to get him through. Now, we have to stop here real quick because this is one of those moments where you've got to stop and say, you either believe this or you don't. Because I've already said, everybody here tonight is bringing something in. You guys are all struggling with something because we all do. Do you really believe verses 1 through 3? Do you really believe that if you do verse 3, if I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, I shall be safe from my enemies? Because if you believe that, Place your faith and trust in him. As verse 2 says, he's your strength, your shield, your salvation, your stronghold, your rock, your fortress. He'll get you through. Problem is, some of us really don't believe verses 1 through 3. Oh yeah, we say it. We sing it. We read it. We put it on note cards. We stick it on our fridge. But when push comes to shove, we truly don't place our faith in him to know that he's really going to get us through it. See, David is speaking from experience. He's been through the cave. He's been through the wilderness. He's been through the wars. He realizes it's God. Because you know what? We can all relate to verses 4 here. Look at verses 4 through 19. The pangs of death surrounded me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol, which means the grave, surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. That's pretty powerful stuff. That's really powerful stuff. Have you ever been to such a thing where the cords of death were around you, the grave was surrounding you, the snares of death confronted you? Yeah, I've been through times in life that were tough. I've never been through verses 4 and 5. David really was. And he still kept his focus on the Lord. You know how convicting that is to me? I whine and complain about something tiny happening in northwest Ohio. It's like, Lord, where are you? I'm not hiding out in some cave with some army encircling me trying to kill me. I'm not the anointed king of Israel that has to go hide in the wilderness because it's not time yet. I will whine and complain about this and that. Man, I look at verses 4 and 5 and say, you know what? Lord, thank you. I'm not living the book of Job. I'm not living the life of David. I can still relate to him, but I'm not what he's been through. And this guy kept his faith and his praise during dark times. Look at verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God, heard my voice from his temple, and my cry before him, even to his ears. Do you guys realize that? Look at verse 6. When you cry out to the Lord, he hears you. Is that not encouraging? Because you can call somebody and they don't answer. You can try to get a hold of somebody and they're not there. You can even open up your heart to somebody and they'll sit there and nod and say, uh-huh, okay, and you're thinking, you don't get it. You don't know what I've been through. But you know what? When you cry out to the Lord, your prayer goes before the ears of God Almighty. 
That is pretty amazing and powerful. But yet, as believers, we take that prayer so lightly. The book of Hebrews says we can boldly go to the throne of grace. Boldly. Have you given your distress, your problems, and your troubles and tribulations over to the Lord and said, Lord, I realize my cry goes out to you. And as it goes out to you, he takes care of it. That's the beautiful thing about prayer, is he hears it and he takes care of it. As we said up here, it's peril and protection. There is a tough time, and God's hand is on us even when we don't see it. See, that's the thing. We always want to see God working. Sometimes God says, I'm working behind the scenes, and you don't see it. But he is there. Jump ahead, if you will, in Psalm 18 to verse 16. He sent from above... He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. See, God drew him out of the water. And how many of us feel right now we're just a head above the waves, barely making it through? And God says, I will draw you out of of the water. I will get you through it. Go to the next one there, Miles. And why was it? He was blameless. Look at verse 20. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands. He has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. All his judgments were before me. I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from iniquity. See, the purpose of this verse is not letting the situation control us. See, the problem is I look at verses 20 through 23, and I say, okay, I've already failed in that area. Sorry, Lord, I am not pure in all things. I'm not blameless. I've gotten upset. I've gotten angry. So therefore, since I've sinned, obviously God's not going to help me. No. That's the beauty of forgiveness and grace. See, David proved himself, though. And that's that 1 Samuel 24 and 26 we talked about. David could have killed Saul in two situations, and he didn't. Now, you're not faced with your enemy, and I hope you don't stand over your sleeping enemy with a knife in your hand. We have to talk if you do. But the point is, you stand before your enemy all the time. If there's somebody you don't like, you may not have a knife in your hand, but you have words in your mouth that you could say. How are you doing with that? You know, this is one of those times we have to stop and ask ourselves, am I blameless or do I let my anger, my frustration control me? And how many times have we heard this? Well, I couldn't help myself. He started saying something, so I started saying, no, you could control yourself. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Or you know what? I just started thinking about the situation. I just got overwhelmed with it and I just gave up. Why would you give up? Faith is strong. See, we can't let the situation control us. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us where we can say, you know what, I will be blameless in this situation. You want to yell? I'm not going to yell back. Depression wants to get the best of me? I'm going to say no to that. Discouragement wants to get the best of me? I'm going to say no to that. I'm not going to let the situation control me because through the Holy Spirit I have self-control. That's what David is saying right here, is I am blameless in this situation. He's blameless in it. Because look at the next one here, verses 28 through 30. God is our strength. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. And I put that Philippians 4.13. That is, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Now, once again, we either believe that or we don't. 
If we believe that we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us, then verses 28 through 30 make perfect sense. I can leap over walls. But here's the thing. Verse 30, the word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. I run into this a lot. I hand out scriptures left and right. You know, if you've ever come into my office and talked, I keep sticky notes right there, and it's like writing a prescription for a doctor. I'll write down a verse, and I'll give you a sticky note, and I say, go home, read this, pray over this, talk about this. You know what? I love it when someone comes back and says, you know what? I I prayed over that passage you said. I I prayed over that verse you said, and that really was a blessing. Because God's word is proven and true. That's the thing is, there's no words that I can say. It's God's word that's proven and true. But you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. And since none of you would do this since you come on Wednesday nights, the ones that come on Sundays that do this, you give them a verse and they don't read it. And then they come back and, dare I say, they start complaining again. It's like, well, did you get a chance to, to read those passages I gave you? No. Well, why? Why? See, because the way I look at it is God's word is proven. It's a shield. I would want that. To me, it's like going to the doctor, saying I'm sick. The doctor gives me a prescription that can help me feel better, but I never go fill the prescription. Why not? See, God's Word is the shield that gets us through it. That's why we spend Wednesday evenings and Sunday nights going through, excuse me, Sunday mornings going through God's Word. And we have to stop and ask ourselves as Christians, do we really believe that God's Word is going to get us through? When you are going through a tough day, instead of getting home and saying, oh, I just need to chill out this evening, why not say, you know what, I need to get the Bible open and read some passages here for some encouragement? Because God's Word has been proven to help us get through it. Go to the next one here, Miles. We're running out of time. Because what happens is, going through God's Word strengthens us. Now, you see I put Joseph here. Real quick, since we're almost out of time. Joseph became second in charge of Egypt. Now, it's amazing. Egypt allowed a Jewish man to become second in charge. Not only that, Egypt allowed a Jewish man that was a slave to become second in charge. And not even that, Egypt allowed a Jewish man that was a slave that was convicted of rape to become second in charge of Egypt. Now that's pretty amazing. Now we obviously know that Joseph didn't do anything with the rape, but he went to jail for it. From Egypt's perspective, here's a foreigner that's a slave, that's a convicted rapist, that is now second in charge of Egypt. The biggest country in the world at that time. That is amazing. How could that happen? God. Well, if God is so great, mighty, and wonderful, why did he allow Joseph to be thrown in jail? Why did he allow Joseph to become a slave? And why did he allow Joseph to be convicted of a crime he didn't commit? Because him going through all those things, the Bible says in Psalm 105, said, made his heart like iron. Those situations prepared Joseph to be the leader he was. So as we look right now, in verses 31 through 42, and we don't have time to go through it, David talks about being the military leader that he's become. In verses 43 through 45, he talks about becoming the political leader that he's become. How has David become such a great military leader and political leader? Because those times he spent in the cave of fear and in the wilderness prepared his heart for what God had in store later on. So right now, if you are going through a difficult time, God is preparing your heart for something that he's going to use later on in your life. That's an amazing thing. Now, if you'd go back in time and ask David while he's sitting in the cave, David, isn't it great what God's doing? I don't know if David would have said yes. If you would have went to Joseph and said, Joseph, you're in prison for rape. Isn't this wonderful? I don't think Joseph would have said yes. In fact, Joseph said to the uh, candlestick maker and the baker, or whoever it was, he said, don't forget me. 
See, when we're in the prison, in the cave, in the wilderness, we want to get out as quick as we can. But God says, I'm allowing these things to happen to encourage you and to strengthen you for something later on. So right now, if you are going through a tough time, God is going to use that later on in your life to make you a better, stronger believer in what you're going through. That is a promise of his. And David proves this. And go ahead and go to the next one here. Last one. What does David's psalms almost always end with? Psalm 18, verse 46. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. See, he could have killed Saul, but he didn't. Verse 48, he delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. And what have we said every lesson about David? He always ends with praise. And we've talked about how it's so vital, vital in our Christian walks to make sure that we have a time of praise in our lives. Prayer is important. God's Word is important. Fellowship is important. But it is so important to have that time of praise in your life where you say, Lord, no matter what my situation is, I'm going to still give you the glory, honor, and praise. And David proved it. David proved it. What I want to finish with is I was actually reading this this morning for devotions. And uh, this is a John Corson one. And I thought it was absolutely wonderful. He quotes Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, where it says, Do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all the things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we have praise and worship before the teaching? Because the purpose of praise and worship is to prepare our hearts for what God has to say in the Word and also to say, Lord, I'm going to praise you no matter what. Not because of what you've done necessarily, even though you've done amazing things to be praised for, but I'm going to praise you for just being God. And this is what John Corson says. This is real short. He goes, When I feel things aren't going very well, I'm tempted to lose heart. And when this happens, I know there's only one thing to do. Speak to myself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He goes, No wonder David was discouraged. He and his men returned from fighting the Amalekites, only to discover that their town had been burned by their enemies, their wives and their kids taken hostage. This is your fault, David, said his men. You took us away from here, and so angry were that they wanted to kill David. What did David do? Well, according to 1 Samuel 36, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He sang psalms. He wrote psalms. He began to praise and worship. As a result, he rallied his men once again, and they recovered all that was lost. Had David remained in his depressed state, not only would he have been rendered ineffective, but the women and children would have remained captive. And so will you until you begin to worship. God's will is that you be free. And nothing will free you from the tyranny of your own situation like worship. You will be profoundly blessed and amazingly productive whenever you give thanks to God for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thought that is so good that no matter the situation, we still give glory, honor, and praise to God. And here in Psalm 18, the battle is done. David is reaching a peaceful part of his reign. And he ends it with those verses in 48 through 50. God is the rock in my salvation that got me through it. And David lived it. He lived it in the cave, in the wilderness, in the battles. He really lived it. And we can really learn from that example. So I know it's a little after 8 here, so we're getting you out a little bit late. Does anybody have any final Questions, comments here about anything here with David or Psalm 60 or Psalm 18. Okay, let's pray then. Lord, I just pray that if there's somebody here tonight that is in the middle of the battle, 
Um, and they're discouraged, Lord. Uplift them, encourage them, help them, Lord, through this, to realize you are there giving the victory, even though we may not see it. And Lord, if there's someone that just came out of the battle, Lord, help them just to have that heart of praise, just to say, Lord, thank you for what you've done. Lord, life is a struggle. It is tough. But thank you for being a God that gets us through it. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys,